0: All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. How how you doing? I hope you're doing well. I, I hope maybe you're thankful like I am that you're starting to see some signs of reopening in our community, right? I know we got a ways to go. I know nothing is really um, all, all that certain, but I, I know for me, I got to see more humans this past week than I have in like two months. It was great. I love humans. They're the best. Um, now, I, on that, uh, I do want to make sure you're aware that we have put our reopening plan out online um, for you. You can see that on our website. Uh, there's a lot that we still don't know, but we are, we're cautiously optimistic about what the days ahead look like. And so we've put out, uh, the elders of the church have been working together to put out a plan for uh, what it looks like to reopen Mercy Church uh, if things continue to take the trajectory that they're taking, okay? The plan and the explanation about it are all available, mercycharlotte.com, all right? Uh, when you get a few minutes, you can go and you, check, you can check that out. Don't go right now. Calm down. Right now, we got some work to do, okay? Um, so I want to hop into our message for today. If you got your um, Bible, head over to Colossians chapter 1. The reason that we're in this book, which is, is actually a letter, is because we need God's help as we try and move forward into whatever this world is going to look like as the pandemic lifts. What we do know is that there's just a mountain of uncertainty in front of us right now. We don't know if it's going to just keep getting better or if it's going to relapse, right? You may not know if your current job is still going to be there or if the job that you lost is ever going to come back. Even the little simple things that we always took for granted, right? Harris Teeter doesn't know if it's ever going to see toilet paper again. Right? At least the one that, that we normally go to doesn't, right? And walking through all of this uncertainty, I don't know, for me at least, has felt kind of like, I was trying to think of a good a word picture or whatever, but almost like walking across one of those, you know those rope bridges that's like, it's got the planks, and you always see it in movies where it breaks for some reason, right? It's got the planks. It feels like walking across one of those swinging rope bridges, also in dense fog, like, I can't, eat. I don't even know what's coming. I don't know if the next plank's gonna even be there when I'm seven. There's just so much uncertainty, it feels like. Um, and in the middle of this, I've just realized all the more how much I need something that is certain that I can put my hope and my trust in. And and I can kind of lean the weight of my soul on to make it through the day that I can really hope in. Well, Colossians, it just offers that hope in the form of the supreme supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. You know, last week, if you, if you were with us, we talked about the uncertainty that this, the believers inside this young church that was just all around them. And we talked about how we're supposed to move forward together. What do we believe? How do we live? I mean, that's what, they're, what they were dealing with. They had some people in the church who were trying to make Jesus one of many gods. That They worship. There were others in the church who were trying to say that it was Jesus plus all the laws of the Old Testament that you had to follow in order to be acceptable by God. They got these two things going on. And on top of that, they got the world around them that are offering a whole lot of things other than Jesus as something that they should put their hope in and enjoyment in in this world. And Paul said, listen, we got to clear some things up so that we can move forward together as a church. And the way to clear things up is just to look at Jesus. And so he takes this letter, he's like, look, just look at Jesus. That's what's going to clear this up. He is supreme above all these other gods, right? He is sufficient so you don't need all those other laws. And he is better than anything the world has to offer. And what we need as we move forward as the church, y'all, what we need here now is a bigger vision of Jesus than we've ever had. We need him at the center. We need to fix our eyes on him. And he needs to just be better and exalted because He's all we can really trust in. That's what I'm going through and what I'm, what I'm experiencing, I feel like, week after week. That's why we're here in this letter, to see Jesus rightly and then look at how we move forward together with collectively and each one of us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what gets me so excited about it. Last week, we saw the introduction to the letter and Paul was celebrating the faith of this young church. That's how he opens the letter, praising God. And I told you, we're going to see a pattern, especially in chapter 1, right? That Before we do something for God, uh, before that happens, there's some heart-level work that's got to go on. Before we do something for God, we pray to God. We submit ourselves to Him. But before we even pray, asking God for something, before we do that, we praise God for the things that He's already done right? We worship God for who he is, what he's done. And so last week was all about uh, the spirit of thankfulness that that we're to have based in who God is and based in the gospel and what God has done. And then based in the work that we've seen him do throughout our lives, the way to build our faith that we're going to need to move forward is to look back at how faithful God has been to us. Because y'all, he has been faithful. He has been so faithful. So that brings us to this week. Having celebrated God's work, he's now going to, the Apostle Paul, who's writing our letter here to the church in Colossae, he is now going to offer a prayer for them. And y'all, it's this prayer that I want you to receive as a prayer prayed over you and prayed over us. We're going to start in verse nine, and we're just going to walk through it. And I just want you to hear, this is a, a Paul as a, a pastor, as an apostle, you know, seeing this as a church that he is, He's praying over them. It's a pastor's heart for this church, and I want you to hear it as a pastor's prayer for mercy church. In many ways, my heart for you is wrapped up in this so much, and it's expressed in this, but let's go to verse 9. We'll go through it together, okay? For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. For this reason, it, right there, he's connecting back to verses 3 through 8. The reason is, for this reason, for the work that we saw God doing. For the work that we have seen him doing um, through their faith. For this reason, because of your faith, since we heard that your faith was growing strong, since we heard the gospel was bearing fruit, since we heard of your love for one another, we've not stopped praying for you. And I want to pause right here, and, and I want to obs- help you see something that's kind of the nature of this whole letter, okay? Okay. So this is zooming out a little bit and kind of understanding the feel of this whole letter, Paul writing to this church. This is the way, this verse right here, we haven't stopped praying for you. We've heard what God is doing. We haven't stopped praying for you, and I'm going to tell you what I'm praying for you. This is the way a spiritual parent refo- responds to the faith of spiritual children. It's, I'm so happy to see you growing your walk, with, your walk with Jesus, it's strengthening my walk with Jesus. And I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep praying for God to do more. I'm not going to stop praying for you. This is what a spiritually mature person looks like, by the way. It's one who celebrates the work of God happening in other people and then prays for God to keep doing it and for to keep doing more. Sometimes we think of maturity as only knowledge, right? As a whole bunch of information as if the most mature people in the faith are the ones that are gonna win at Bible Jeopardy if we ever do something like that. And look, you know I'm not knocking knowledge. In fact, Paul's about to pray for them to have um, knowledge. But maturity is knowledge that leads to something. It's knowledge that leads to holiness. Knowledge is like the fuel that should take you to maturity, but knowledge isn't maturity in and of itself, Spiritual maturity looks like a spiritual parent celebrating the progress of their children. And y'all, you know, I've come under the conviction we all need spiritual parents. This is an aspect that I've learned to embrace um, from friends whose faith was formed in the black church. There's this rich biblical tradition that I see practiced that I just didn't have in my tradition growing up. We never really incorporated it. But this is, it's what we need. It's, it's beautiful. We need people who will say, I see you. I see you right now. I see you. You're trying. And you got some things really right. And you got some things really wrong right now. But that's a part of walking with Jesus and spiritual parents. Uh, they're going to pray for God to continue to make you more like Jesus. And you're going to let their words carry real weight in your life. Mercy, we got we got a lot of you that need to step into spiritual parenthood. Really. I mean, that's you've been wondering, what's my next step of trusting God? This is what it is. It's claiming responsibility for the faith of someone else. Now, look, you don't just walk up to somebody, okay, and declare that you are now their spiritual parent because you want to be, right? Like, I was thinking about who are the guys in our church that might be a little bit weird. Like, uh, there's this guy, I love him, Luke Akinsola. Great guy. I think we got enough in common, you know. He's about... 10 to 12 years, younger than me, he's athletic, I wear tennis shoes, so I feel like you know, we're, we're very much alike, um, but I'm not gonna walk up to Luke and go, hey Luke, I am your father. You like how I did that? I can get these dad jokes even through the camera, I can make it happen. Um, no, that'd be random and weird, right? Um, instead, look to the people, what, what should all of us do? Look to the people God has put in your life and start praying for God to strengthen their faith. And then start celebrating the work that you see God doing in their lives and see what God does, which, by the way, is going to be great for you because it's going to get your eyes off of you, right? And it's going to stop making you the center of your world. And as you do that, you're actually going to see more of the beauty and majesty of God. All right, back to our passage. Okay, that's kind of the, the context, it's the nature and the feel of this letter. Let's see what it is that Paul is praying for the church, maybe it's the prayer you need. Maybe this is the prayer you need to start praying for somebody. Our whole passage of um, verses nine through fourteen—this is classic Apostle Paul. It's one long run-on sentence. Okay, so I'm gonna try and break it up here. All right, but it's just he just keeps going. All right, so he says, keep going to verse nine. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual, all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul and Timothy, he says, we—it's Paul and Timothy right in there with him. They're praying that they may be filled. You notice that that's passive. He isn't praying that you fill yourself. You can't. This is God's work. Everything he's praying for is like, this is God's work that's going to happen. He's praying God will fill them with the knowledge of his will. Let's talk about that real quick, what that means because kind of that spiritually flowery language if we don't understand it. His will right here is not talking about a set of decisions we're supposed to make throughout life. Like we come to a decision point, we often think God's will is one of the options and we got to figure out which one it is. Right, so that we can stay in the will of God. Like, is the job supposed to be in Charlotte, Atlanta, or New York? I've got jobs that could be in any one of these three. Behind which door is God's will? Well, it's Charlotte. No, I'm, I don't, like that's not the way this thing it really works. Okay, being filled with the knowledge of His will is talking about a deep and abiding understanding of Christ, who He is, and what He means for us. The next verse is even going to say it means knowing God Himself getting so intimately familiar with who God is. That's how you gain spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding is going to say in chapter 2 that are in Christ. This is Colossians 2, 3. In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where it is. You get to know God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God says, look at me. Get to know me. In fact, just stay with me a really long time. Get really, really familiar here. Stay here. Abide here. Make your home here with me. Start your day here. End your day here. Good news. I'm a mobile home, so you can stay with me throughout the day. Memorize the Word of God and meditate on it. Why? Verse 10. Then, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Man, this is huge. In knowing more of the Lord, you'll be supplied with what you need to walk worthy of the Lord. This is huge. Over and over, this is the way the Bible talks about spiritual transformation happening, okay? So I want you to lock in here. Is so what Paul is praying for is for them to be changed, so they're going to be able to walk worthy of the Lord. But you got to see the process by which change happens. Your knowledge of God is what's going to lead you to be able to live a life worthy of him. Knowledge of God leads to good works. Good works doesn't lead to an increased knowledge of God. You've got to see the difference. Like listen, I can't see you right now, okay? I can't see you like physically in your living room, or on your phone, in your bedroom, wherever you are. I can't tell if you're getting this, but I need you to nod your head right now as a way of signaling to the Lord, between you and the Lord, that you understand what's happening here, that you understand what Paul is saying, that it's knowledge of God and a relationship with God that leads to transformation, not working hard so that God will approve of me that leads to transformation. All right, you gotta connect there. Works do not get you to God. Massively important. I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got a life-dominating sin Or struggle that you're dealing with. And you own it and you're like, all right, I'm gonna beat this thing. Let's say you even get outside help, right? Like counseling or recovery program or something. If you approach that with a mindset of, I'm gonna beat this thing. And it's you struggling against that struggle. It's you against the struggle, right? And you're motivated because once you beat this, then man, then you'll be able to know God better because this thing will be behind you and you'll be ready to really know God. That right there is a false religion, It's nothing short of that. And what happens is we just keep trying to modify our behavior and maybe we fix it for a little while, but it usually is only a little while because we only have a little bit of strength against a problem that is way bigger than us. And then the struggle just comes back. Sometimes it rages back. Sometimes it comes back in a new form or just twice as bad as it was before. And then we get tired. We get spiritually tired and we throw up our hands and we're like, you know what? I'll never beat it. This is now just who I am. It's, I feel like a lot of times the people that deal with the same struggle over and over, and I've been there and done this thing, it's like playing um, spiritual whack-a-mole. You remember this game? You remember back when there were places that you used to go to, right? So back then, there was this thing called the, the state fair, and you could go, and there's this little game called whack-a-mole, and you got this hammer that's wrapped in cloth, and you, you put in the quarters or whatever you put in, and the thing, the little moles start popping up. Moles are like, I don't know. They're like little rats, gerbils or something, whatever. They come out of the hole, it's not the point, this is not a science study. They come out of the hole, then you like knock it down, but then another one comes up somewhere and you're knocking it down, the same one comes up, boom, 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 and eventually you just get tired, right? They <laughs> all along, listen, I feel like that's the way a lot of people approach transformation is in their own strength. They just try and suppress one thing, something else comes up, they try to suppress another so eventually they just get tired. When all along God says, stop trying to do God's work in your strength. You look ridiculous, and you're only furthering the problem. you got to start with the knowledge of God. You want to break free from that struggle? Go spend hours with God. Don't leave. Get a cup of coffee, get back in there. right? Consume the, the Psalms. right? Pray them back to Him. Go to the gospel and receive forgiveness. Just swim in the ocean of God's character and His goodness. Take a day off of work and just meet with God. I'm serious. Tell your boss you need a self-care day. Go sit in a room with a Bible and a journal and a pen and say, God, I am staying right here today because I want my strength not to come from myself, but I just want it to come from you. And I just want to know you. And I trust the more I know you, the more you're going to change me and give me the strength that I need to be able to get through this. Now, with that said, I want you to look at verse 11. There's this thing right there (laughs) is really cool. It's just a little grammatical uh, spot. There's a colon after it says fully pleasing to him. That's because now he's going to describe what that worthy walk looks like. This is what he prays their lives are going to look like. It's a prayer for us as well as we move forward with Jesus at the center of our lives. Some some aspects of this prayer are external, like he's hoping that there will be some things that will be obvious to others, and some of them are internal, that will be obvious to you and God. And the first two are bound together, so let's talk about them together. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, If you feel in your head right now, like, wait, didn't he already just say that? Like, this feels a little bit circular? Good. Good. That means you're catching how critical knowing God himself is to any kind of transformation in the Christian life. Back in verse 6, he said, hey, the gospel is bearing fruit all across the world. And he's celebrated the fruit of the gospel in terms of the advancement of God's mission. But now he's praying that that same gospel will bear fruit in their individual lives, that they've been created for, that they've been created by God for good works. This is Ephesians 2.10, right? We are his workmanship. Ephesians 2, 8, nine. We've been saved by grace, not our own works, but it's by the grace of God through faith. Verse 10, he created in Christ Jesus for, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Y'all, one of my main jobs as your pastor and in our pastoral team is to help equip you to do these good works. To tap you on the shoulder and say, since the beginning of time, God had prepared this moment to do something in this world through you for his glory. These good works are the fruit of the gospel at work in you. I think of a guy in our church who decided to become like an older brother figure to a couple of teenage guys in our community to train those guys to love Jesus. This requires sacrifice, uh, love, kindness, faithfulness. That's a good work that God had prepared for him since the foundation of the world. And the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives as a result of that. And Paul's using this image. He's using this image of bearing fruit to help us understand that when we make our home in God, when you do like I told you to do, spend that day, go spend time with God, for example. I mean, more than a day, but you know what I mean. When you go there, it's going to start to show. Just like when a plant is rooted in the soil and it's healthy, The evidence is going to be fruit. Like an apple tree or a strawberry plant, when rooted in the gospel, in the knowledge of God, we're going to bear fruit, which is why he prays, keep growing. Keep growing in the knowledge of God, because that's our life source. That's why this thing feels circular. The same water that produces the fruit is the same water that keeps us alive now. Fruit, that's forgiving people when they hurt you. Fruit is gentleness with people where harshness was once your norm. Fruit is thinking of how you can serve others before yourself. Fruit is peace that comes from an identity rooted in Christ. Fruit is not being enslaved to the opinions of other people anymore. It's not being enslaved to finding identity in your work. I'm telling you, that's going to be visible. People are going to say, you've changed. That's fruit they are seeing. And as you grow, more fruit is going to come. And if you cut yourself off from the life source, fruit is going to shrivel up and no more fruit is going to grow. Listen, one road you don't want to travel down is trying to produce fruit in your own strength apart from God. That'd be, I mean, in the metaphor, that would be like gluing strawberries onto a dead strawberry plant. Fruit would look dumb like that. And secondly, the strawberries wouldn't last And third, I mean, you think about this for a second if you're uh, an observer. Would you trust good-looking strawberries on a dead strawberry plant? No. Fake fruit is not helping anybody. So you got to go to the Father who's the source of what can produce fruit and let Him do that work in you. I know how counter this is to our, okay, tell me what I need to do next. Wait, you're just telling me I need to go meet with God and just get to know more of God? Yes. Yes, that is the way he has set this this up because he is the only one that's going to get glory. He is jealous for his glory in your life. Now, just like those first two prayers, the next two are bound together too, Uh, an internal change and an external change. The first two, growing in the knowledge of God, kind of internal, but then the bearing fruit external. And then verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He's praying that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that... Here comes the, what, what's going to look external. You may have great endurance and patience. Whew. Well, he's like, listen, church, you got a road ahead. You're going to need strength, the kind of strength only God can give that's beyond your power. And it's power in accordance with God's glorious might. It's like the difference between you in your own strength being a double-A battery and God in his strength being a nuclear power plant, right? God is supplying the strength. You want God to bear fruit in your life. And to do that, you got to stop trying to bear fruit in your own strength. you got nothing more than AA battery strength. God has unending strength. He's offering it to you. Why? Verse 11, so that you can have God-sized patience and endurance. (laughs) There is like an insanely obvious application of that right now, (laughs) right? Does anybody need endurance and patience right now? and feel like you might be running out of it. (laughs) This is one of those moments where you better be sitting on your couch, raising your hand, saying, yes, Jesus. Okay, just between you and the Lord, right? Jesus, my AA battery ran out weeks ago, (laughs) and I'm all out, right? I got nothing left in the tank right? And you need to tell God that, but this is important in many other spaces than that, right? Paul prays for great endurance and patience because he knows they, the Colossians, are going to be in situations that are difficult and that last a long time. Or they're difficult, they last a long time, and they keep kind of cycling back and keep happening. So he prays for endurance and patience because he expects the Christian life to be filled with hardship. And I say that Because there is a brand of Christianity that's out there right now in our culture that talks about God and faith as if it's always about um, personal self-improvement. And part of that is true, right? I mean, even we're talking today about God bearing fruit in your life. That's going to be better for you. But your life is not a season of wins and losses where with God's help, you can get a few more wins this year. You can even make the playoffs with God's help this year. And the type of teaching that focuses only on how to win at life can be very toxic and is definitely shallow because everybody has losses. We do. What's the deal there? Was God absent? Or did God just not care? Was he not powerful enough? Everybody bleeds. Everybody suffers. And sometimes what you need is God-sized endurance. You need God-sized patience. I wish that the result of this pandemic was the complete annihilation of the prosperity gospel, because I don't need to always hear, you're going to win today if you'll just trust God more. No, I need to hear somebody say, hey, this is hard, and I can't promise you that it's ever going to get easy, and I know you feel like you just can't right now. And here in the Bible is an agreement with that feeling and an offering from God to supply you his presence and his strength as you struggle through. That meets me. Listen, you can hear, I'm yelling in a room where there are three other people right now. But that's just because I had, this week was my week where I just kind of ran out, all right? I had that moment yesterday. I was like, God, I need to tap out. This, this junk is hard and I'm ready to take a break. Um, and that's why, that is why I love preaching the Bible to you week in and week out, because it's not just academic exercise, it is very much some soul work that happens week in, week out. Um, sometimes that soul work is really convicting, and I come up and I feel like I've just been punched a whole lot, but sometimes it's very supplying. And yesterday was this very supplying time for me where the Lord says, yep, I see you. You are finally at a spot where you're ready for me to do the heavy lifting, where you're ready to stop thinking your AA battery is enough to supply you in a time where you need the nuclear power plant so you can finally yield and let me go to work. And man, that has been, it's only been, I feel like hours, not even a full day, where I've been sitting before the Lord in that. And the the restoration of peace and joy and the supplying of strength has been so good to me. And then Paul says, man, I'm praying that when God supplies you with, his power with his endurance and patience. Here's what he says the manner in which you walk is going to look like. It's the end of the last word of verse 11 going into verse 12. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints inheritance in the light. He's saying you're not just going to just be able to endure. You will be joyfully thankful to God. That's what he's praying for, that you're bearing fruit, you're growing closer to God, you're receiving God's strength so that you can have endurance and patience when you thought you had none, and that is going to transform someone into the type of person who walks through hell joyfully giving thanks to God. Listen, to the non-Christian world, that is like, that's psychopath crazy. That's Joker-level crazy, all right? Like, why are these people joyful in a pandemic? The appropriate response is fear, exhaustion, anger, depression, and escaping into a bunch of different things. Why are they joyful and thankful? Are they clinically insane? <laughs> no. We're children of a Father who has given us new life in Him. And, and speaking of, that's where His prayer goes next, isn't it? Uh, a reminder of who we are. He reminds them of their identity, and I want you to receive, if nothing else, receive this last part of Paul's prayer, which really actually is a a bridge into next week's passage, uh, starting in verse 15, that it's this awesome exaltation of how great Christ is. But I want you to receive this um, right here where he goes to verse 13. He says, this is who he is. This is who God is. He's already said it, giving thanks to God the Father who's enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. I'm not even going to really get to fully unpack verse 12 right there because he goes into verse 13. He says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And in him, in that Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who you are in Christ. He God the Father has rescued us. That's the church. We are not a bunch of religious elites. We are a bunch of rescued orphans who were prisoners in the domain of darkness. That's who we were in our sin. And God rescued us. He came and got us. And he, But Here's the, the thing. He didn't just come and get us and bring us out of that domain of darkness. He transferred us. He brought us home. And sometimes I think we forget that part as we walk day in, day out as followers of Christ. The transfer of citizenship. Look at how he talks about that. He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's Jesus. Jesus is the king of our kingdom. And in him we have what? Redemption. In the Son, Jesus. In him we have redemption. We don't have redemption outside of him. We don't atone for our own sins. We don't think our life is some kind of Hollywood fairy tale where one day we're going to make up our own path of redemption and we are going to make everything right again. No. True redemption is made by God in Christ. And what's that redemption? He explains. He makes sure we understand what we're talking about, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to that. This is Paul's reminder. He's praying over these Christians, and he calls them to remember who God is, this rescuer, this one who has all strength that he can supply, and remember what he's done. It's the best thing for this church in Colossae, this young church trying to figure out how to move forward together, and the best thing for you and I is seeing the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus as their king and savior remember the forgiveness of your sins. You know what this means, right? It means that you and I are not our sin because it's been forgiven. So that's not who we are, right? Your sin doesn't get to be your identity. And that takes a minute to truly receive. It really does. You got to sit in it for a second. I-, I bet you might be quick to say it, say those words. If you're a Christian, especially if you've been a Christian for a little while, you might be quick to say those words to a friend. Hey, listen, I know you messed up over there, but that's not you, you know? That's not who you really are. That was just messing up. But what about your sin? Are, are you as quick to say that to yourself to receive that I'm not my sin? Or is it starting to define you? In this stay-at-home where we're just not around people as much, or we're with people on screen so it's easier to hide, maybe your sinful patterns are just running wild on you. Maybe it's that you're eating all your feelings. Maybe it's that you're, you're escaping into food and drink. Maybe it's impatience and anger. And whatever it is, you start to think, man, this is just, this is really who I am. Like, only people knew who I really was. And Jesus says, no, that's not who you are. You are forgiven. All right, you have been transferred out of that domain of darkness. That's not you. You're in a new kingdom, you're in my kingdom, you have new citizenship, you have new identity, and your new identity in this kingdom is son or daughter of God. That's who you are. You are not your sin. And y'all, all the power you need is found in that identity. The power you need to walk forward, it's in Jesus. So will you just receive? Receive the forgiveness God offers you in Christ. Will you receive that right now? Christian, will you embrace it again? That's where strength comes from. Comes from living in your new home. Listen, I know last week I gave you soul work. A little um, homework assignment. We don't call it homework because homework is depressing because all work is from home right now, okay? So this idea of, hey, there's, there's some work that God needs to do on us, and we don't want it just to be a sermon that we hear. Instead, we want it to be this, something that the Lord begins to transform us, that this prayer that's being prayed over us, we really do start to see fruit come out of it. And so last week, I said, all right, write out 10 things that you are thankful to God for, for the work that you've seen Him do in your life, looking back. This week, We're going to continue this. It's not always going to be a a list, okay? But I am going to do that again this week. I want you to write out 10 things. But I want these 10 things to be 10 things you are thankful for about God. And why? Which I know makes it one of those questions on the quiz that now you really hate because it can't just be like a one or two word answer, right? But the reason is, I want you to think about, I've told you, the way to change, the way to see transformation is not to try and do it in your own strength, but to instead rest in who God is and get to know him. It's in the knowledge of God that we are transformed. So I just want you to go and be thankful to God about who he is and why those specific things, which is going to connect you, of course, back to what you've seen him do in your life. So what is it about God that you're thankful for? And by the way, use the the Bible in this. Make sure you're not recreating God in your image as you write things, these things out. Make sure what you love about God is actually true about God, right? And then worship Him. If the power to change comes from God and not yourself, then go be with God. Embrace the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. I, I tell you time and again, I'm going to keep saying it. I, I'll try and say it every time in this series, but it doesn't matter. Go meet with God. It's the best thing I, as your pastor, can equip you to do, can encourage you to do. Go meet with God because it is in the knowledge of God, in that relationship with God, that the power for life. Life change is just going to start to flow out the more that you are with him and receive the forgiveness of sins that is offered to you in Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your promise to give us this this strength, this endurance and patience in a time where we so desperately need it. I pray that you would help every single person that's listening to this, that's watching this today. God, I'm asking that you would help them to go to you. To not feel like they gotta muster up their own strength, but to instead just go rest in the strength of God. Go make their home with you. So I pray that you would. Would you convict that way, Father? And then I ask that you would bear fruit through us as we make our home in you. We pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.